Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Bill. And I'm Mikkel. And we're grateful for the chance to have this conversation with you today. Today on the podcast, we've got Wendy Jensen. Wendy, would you say hi to the audience and maybe just give us kind of a, a brief intro? Hi, I'm grateful to be on here. I'm so excited about your what you're doing. I am a life coach, and I've been doing it for about 15 years. I've been in the healing, in healing arts, and so I'm a speaker, author, and trainer in human development. And I specialize, ever since my own um, kind of faith crisis, I specialize in people who are kind of going into second life. I call it rebirthing school. So <laughs> that's what I That's do. cool. I, uh, I wanted to spend, and first off, Wendy, I've known you for a little while and uh, went to one of the workshops that you put on that had to do with the Enneagram and really loved it and found a lot of value there. It's helped me to understand myself better, helped me to understand my friends better, and uh, I hope maybe to get into at least a question or two on the Enneagram. But I want to start off talking about uh, emotional fluency, and um, I want to first ask you, you know, because this was one of the things that you said that uh, you were... Uh, comfortable talking about, and it's a subject that I find deeply interesting. Maybe tell the audience what emotional fluency is, and then uh, then I'd like to ask you a question or two. Sure. Well, I I refer it's, it can be emotional intelligence or emotional acuity. I like to call it emotional fluency because um, it's kind of like a language. We're fluent in English, or we're fluent in some other language, but most of us are not taught how to be fluent in our emotions, how to speak emotions. So that's why I call it emotional fluency. And the reason I think it's important is because we're coming to you know, this time in our own evolution where we're recognizing that emotions are something that we are allowed to feel and that we should feel and that we should process. And people who have that high level of emotional intelligence seem to be happier and they seem to be more productive and they seem to live more joyful lives. And so that's kind of why I think it's a very important part of our development and our, and our joyful learning about ourselves. You know, what I wanted to kind of talk about with terms of this is, is that I think often in our society, we're not really equipped to do this. We're not really equipped to, to talk about our emotions in healthy ways. And it seems like emotions, we're certainly feeling those and having those, like that's I read just this morning, somebody made a, a comment that that's our first language. We come into this world screaming and crying and giggling and, and smiling. Like we're feeling emotion early on and we don't have language to put to it. And and then we grow up in a culture that seems to both tell us that vulnerability really isn't valued. Like it's not, it's not desirable. And so we kind of hide ourselves from being honest with those that we're in relationship with about what our emotions really are. And and then there's another kind of component on, on top of that, which, which is that I don't know that we're really skillfully trained on um, describing our emotions in healthy ways. 
if both of those things are the case, I'd like you to speak to those for a moment. But also, if those are the case, then then how does one kind of get get started being more uh, accurate and open about what they're feeling inside? Okay, so I I think I, I love what you're talking about as far as um, when we're younger, we're, we don't have the language to identify our emotions. And we do experience this training. It's kind of like a training by osmosis. <laughs> Otherwise, nobody is intentionally training us. But we are trained to censor ourselves and, and to hide those emotions because, like you said, when we are vulnerable with them and we share them, we either get in trouble or we get humiliated or we get called a, a sissy or grow up, stop crying. You know, we're, we're not validated in our emotions. So we learn how to censor them out of fear and out of protection. And when we you know, move into our second life, what I like to call it, I think you've called it that too, Bill, um, is we start to learn that those emotions are valid, that they're important. And so we have to squeeze them out of ourselves and say, what am I feeling right now? And um, a lot of that, uh, people are afraid to feel them. They're dangerous and they're scary. And it's, if I expose them, I'll be rejected. I'll, if I share my emotions, I'll hurt other people. If I be honest about how I'm feeling, um, I could lose everyone right now if I really told them the truth about how I feel. And so when we move into that second life, we have to be willing to risk losing everyone in order to stop betraying our emotions and our feelings and what feels true for us inside. And so part of doing that is recognizing first that I get to feel <laughs> my feelings and there's nothing wrong with my feelings and there's nothing wrong with me for feeling this way. And so sometimes you just have to, you have to sit down and say, what am I feeling? Am I feeling betrayed? Am I feeling lonely? Am I feeling angry? And if I am, why? And when you allow your emotions to speak to you and you give them the language um, that, that they'll speak to you, why am I feeling this way? I feel this way because it's almost like your own mind will pull it out and will tell you why you're feeling this way. And when you allow the emotion to, to wave through you and you sit in it for a, for a while and you allow yourself to be angry and you allow yourself to be lonely, it's not the emotion that's, that hurts us. It's our unwillingness to feel it and our tendency to resist it. We've kind of been conditioned, like I said, to resist it. And so now as adults, and part of our adult development <laughs> is saying, okay, I get to feel this. I don't make it wrong. I don't make it right. It's just an emotion. It's not going to hurt me. I'm not going to die. <laughs> I just need to be able to feel it and express myself. I think that's probably the biggest obstacle, at least for me, is, is that feeling the emotion but not assigning any meaning to it. No judgment, no, you know, no other emotion or feeling to what I'm already feeling. Yeah, and that's the thing that we've been told at least I was told in my upbringing that feeling angry was, you know, not normal or was not good. People don't feel angry. <laughs> good people don't feel sad and we should only feel happy. And if we don't only feel happy, then something's wrong with us. <laughs> and so now we develop this self-contempt because we have all these emotions going on, which are quite natural, but we think they're unnatural and that they are, um, 
some kind of a bad shadow part of us that we aren't allowed to express. So we have like this whole underworld of emotions that we've shut down and we haven't allowed them to be part of who we are. On the, on the first half of life, Wendy, we can sense that the people we're in conversation with that we're also in relationship with, they are, maybe it's not the healthiest space to be vulnerable as well. And then, and then we ourselves are kind of struggling to be vulnerable because we want the world to perceive a certain kind of us that fits in and conforms. And, and so for the listener, cause again, like Mikkel's pointing to, this has been one of the hardest things for me and for me and my wife as well. And only over the last maybe six months to a year, are we both just choosing to start saying what we're feeling, hoping and trusting that the person on the other side of that conversation will have the tools to be able to handle it, um, to be able to, to have that conversation that lives in a space of vulnerability. Um, for people who are beginning to kind of understand that, like, okay, I don't want to just fit in anymore. I want to start being honest and open and vulnerable about what I'm feeling. And I want to start having conversations and it's risky. I don't know exactly if I can trust the person on the other side of this conversation. How does one kind of edge into beginning that process and saying, okay, okay, today's it. Today I'm going to have a, a vulnerable conversation where I talk openly and honestly about what I'm feeling inside. Well, I, I think it, what it comes down to for me is there, there came a point in my own life, and I've recognized this in many of my clients, where, where we've developed the censoring and we've censored for so long. But there comes a point where we have to be willing to hurt other people, disappoint other people, and even lose other people in order to stop betraying ourselves. Because the self that we have, this, this person, the contempt that we've developed against ourselves, it's in our second life, we're trying to release that and have an acceptance of ourselves and a love of ourselves. We can't love ourselves with all these secrets inside because it just feels so uncomfortable. And so that moment where we are willing to be vulnerable because the cost of um, censoring ourselves has become too high. And we've become so inauthentic that it hurts. And it, it, that moment we're willing to find value in that vulnerability. If we do it once and we recognize that it's not Armageddon that's unleashed because we were vulnerable, we recognize that people are still going to be there. And some aren't. And we don't get to control that. But we really want to know who really is going to show up for us and who really is going to accept us for who we are in our most raw form. And if there comes a time in your life where you, you're just done with all the facade and you want to know what's real. And so that being willing to be vulnerable um, and lose people <laughs> who aren't real and being willing to disappoint people that you've been trying to please your whole life, um, it's, it's just a step in maturity and a step of the cost of censoring is too high anymore. I just can't do it anymore. I need to know who I am and I need to know who's on board with me and who I can trust. That, that felt so risky 
on the first half of life. And I'll tell you, Wendy, and I think, Mikkel, I'd love to hear your two cents on maybe your 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 thoughts on times where you've shared this kind of piece of yourself with others and took this chance. But, Wendy, I was scared to death it wouldn't work out. I was scared to death that if I told people what I was really feeling and thinking about, everyone would walk away. And the reality has been that more times than not, um, it's it's been well received and it actually made the relationship with the other person stronger. Yeah, and I agree. Um, on the first half of life, you know, just growing up in in the environment that I did, there was no allowance for any type of emotion. And so, like you said, Wendy, it's it's it feels really really risky. It feels like you are going to lose everything. And I found that when you're willing to share you know, for me, it was just a little bit at a time there. It was too risky to share everything at once. So you just start sharing for me, just little bits of that emotion and being able to talk about it and sit with it and acknowledge it. And I found that it becomes easier with time. And that when I'm willing to share those little bits or a lot bits of those emotions, um, it opens up space for other people to be vulnerable and to be real and to share what they're feeling as well. So that's my experience, but it, I'm hoping that with time, that fear gets easier um, or less scary, and it does, um, but there's still times when it's really scary. I, I think we've all kind of bought into a lie when we were younger, and again, I don't think it was a conscious thing. <laughs> it was something that we kind of all did to each other, and we made this silent pact with ourselves that being vulnerable will cause me to be humiliated or rejected. And as we get older, we realize that the truth is being vulnerable is what creates connection. And being vulnerable is what brings depth and intimacy to relationships. And that's been uh, something new on the, on the face of of our uh, attempt to learn how to connect and to evolve better with others that this idea of vulnerability is, it is not, it's not something that we've all been doing with each other. It is like, it's a new tool that we're developing and people who aren't willing to be vulnerable, those who have found the value in vulnerability recognize them and they look like fakers. (laughs) They look like they're hiding something once you've practiced the vulnerability, once you've been willing to cross that line and to take that risk with someone else, you recognize quickly who the people are that still aren't willing to go to that place. And I believe that's just part of our, our natural evolution. Yeah, I, I read a quote this morning that goes right along with what you, you just said, Wendy. It said, uh, the more we're able to put into some sort of language and convey it to our partner that these are my inner experiences right now, the more empathy there is in the relationship. The adverse of that is that the less I can say this is my inner experience, the more my partner is going to be reacting to my outer behavior, oftentimes with judgment and frustration, rather than where they would relate to your experience with empathy. Just in the last week, my wife and I have had conversations where we've practiced this and it revolves around letting go sometimes of the stories that are in our heads and the outward perception we're seeing somebody uh, give off. 
and allowing them the space to talk about what the real things are that are going inside their thought process. And and once we do that, and, and again, having practiced it in the last week, it has created a lot more intimacy, um, a lot more openness and respect, and I think a deeper depth of relationship the more we do these kinds of things. I agree. And, and there, there comes a time. It, it, it is a risk. Every time it's a risk. Every time you take that risk, you start to feel stronger within yourself. And you start to crack away and pick away at the facade that you've been building, the structure of safety and protection for yourself, realizing that the whole world is reacting to the fault, your false self. And the only way you're going to get yourself out of that is to start speaking your truth and what's true for you and what, what, what are your feelings. And so um, my own experience was with my, hu- my husband. We had been married for 29 years <laughs> and I was so afraid to tell him my true feelings. And we, uh, um, after probably half a bottle of tequila, <laughs> we finally <laughs> were able to share how we were really feeling. And it was so risky, but the result of that was, is that we did realize that we were not compatible and that we really needed to, to put it, you know, to put our relationship to rest. And we were able to uncouple with each other in a very friendly and kind and loving way. And to be able to honor our feelings inside the secrets that we've been keeping, that were keeping us married, but were not allowing us to be happy. And so, yes, you, you, it'll either bring you stronger and together, like you said, Bill, or it could reveal that really it's time to move on. Right. They, they both, like, like we, we all want certain outcomes in our life. And we also, when we get to this half of life, which essentially all of the listeners are kind of edging into this awakeness or this second half of life, it, it seems as though like everybody wants to be honest. They all want to be vulnerable and we all want the outcomes to come a certain way. We don't get to have it both ways. But as you point out, like being open with people, even if it doesn't give us the outcome we want at that moment, it allows us to move into our life with a higher level of openness and vulnerability, which is also something we deeply crave. Yeah, and, and that's the whole point is we, we crave to be authentic. We crave to know who we are. There comes a point where we're tired of being what everyone has told us to be and what everyone else has expected us to be. And we're like, who, but who am I? And so that vulnerability and those crucial conversations are important. In fact, they're essential for, to get to that place. And so once we taste it, we crave it. Wendy, I just, you know, thinking about my personality and life experiences and then taking the Enneagram, um, a quiz probably a year and a half ago, I wonder if there is any part of this emotional fluency that kind of ties into the Enneagram. Um, you know, when I took the the test the first time, um, I was really annoyed by the results. And so I took it about 12 more times with very similar results. And that didn't make it any easier. And um, I'm a type type one, the, the, oh, I forget the name now, the perfectionist. And yeah. so I'm just wondering, is, the, is there any, any part of emotional fluency that kind of ties into the Enneagram where it's easier for certain personality types um, to be able to talk about their feelings? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, emotions do tie into the Enneagram and, and your, your personality. It, it, what's interesting about the Enneagram is that it shows you kind of the hole that we, you've dug yourself into and how you've situated yourself in the world according to your personality and your preference. And um, once we take it, we don't, the first time we really don't want to know that that's who we are because it's so glaringly obvious. And for a one, a type one with that, that perfectionism, who's come here to, to create um, beautiful things. They have, there's great uh, qualities and gifts about a uh, number one, but their shadow side is they do not want to see their imperfections. And so that's, it's very, very hard to step into a one and say, okay, I am a perfectionist. <laughs> I have experienced that. I have so many rules going on, but it's almost the minute that you admit I am a one and here's where I'm at. These are the things that I'm hung up on. Let's get to work. And when that happens, it's almost like you give yourself permission to be for those gifts to emerge until you admit that you dug yourself into that hole then those gifts can't emerge. That makes sense. I don't think I've done that, Bill. What do you think? I'm being sarcastic. I, so, so if I'm honest, though, Mikkel, like I think you've gotten better at this. Just a conversation we had the other day, and, and I won't give necessarily the specifics here, but there was something I gave you some feedback on, and you and I have built our relationship on me being honest with you and you being honest with me. And there was a recent instance where I, I, I was honest with you and it poked you a little bit. And you came back to me a few days later and you said, like, why did you say that? And what were you feeling? What were you thinking? And here's what I was feeling. And here's what I was thinking. Um, I, I think you've come leaps and bounds with being open and vulnerable. But again, we all have to have some level of trust in the person we're talking to. There has to be some level of confidence that we've built through past experience that tells us that person is worth the risk. But I, I see you doing that at times. I see you telling people your truth at the risk of that not going the way you want it to and getting the outcome you desire, but being willing to risk it anyway. Like I see that growth in you and I see that growth in others who are on this side of things, trying to do these things for the first time or, you know, for, for the first segment of time that we're, we're trying to live into this. I think I think it's really interesting. Um, it's I, I keep thinking about what Wendy said that um, the risk of um, not being who you are um, feels more more dangerous, I guess, than risking being who you are and and finally just opening up and talking about um, things. Wendy, you you mentioned another topic that uh, is interesting to me. And I think it was spiral dynamics. What, what is that? A spiral dynamics is an observation of like the social development and kind of the levels of evolution, if you were at will, <laughs> or our levels of consciousness that have evolved in societies. So it, it talks about um, like in the beginning when we were kind of cave, cave-ish creatures <laughs> and our consciousness was not as evolved as much. Um, and then we went into a different phase in our evolution, which they call the purple phase or the magical time where we started to believe in demons and, and uh, potions and really connected with the earth. And then we kind of evolved into a more of a 
a red stage where we were very warlike and dominating like and then we moved into a blue stage which is kind of like the patriotic stage and that's where we moved into more religion which is why i think religion was important at that time because we needed to answer to something higher than ourselves because we were so barbaric and so at each of these levels it has a purpose but then it also becomes a problem at the at the top of its um, purpose it has a problem so we needed that change that patriotism and that religiosity to kind of get us to wake up a little bit and be more civil with each other but then we kind of move into this um, stage of orange what they call the orange and that's more about finding more about ourselves and becoming more industrious and seeing what we can do as individuals in the world. And then we move into a green, which is more about caring about everybody else and being concerned about the marginalized and the hurt. And then we kind of cross the bridge into yellow where our consciousness is at the very first time able to see all the different colors of um, the spiral and all the different uh, stages of evolution. We're able to work with it until then we kind of fight against each other. Like those who are in a blue stage are angry at those in the green stage and those in the orange stage think those in the purple stage are um, pointless and meaningless, but there's value in each stage that we go through, which is that we have to grow and develop out of it. And this happens to us individually growing from a child to to an adolescent, to an adult, as well as collectively as people and groups. And so in America, we're kind of in the orange-green stage where we're still very industrious, but we're also being more concerned about the marginalized. And there are other countries that are still very patriotic and still very uh, warlike even. So it's just kind of a study of social dynamics. So that was a very short version of it all. It's quite more complex than that, but um, that was kind of the short version. I know this came from Ken Wilber, right? Like Ken Wilber is kind of the pioneer of taking human development and all of its facets and kind of connecting them all together in this thing called spiral dynamics. Um, well, Ken, Ken Wilber is probably the one that's put it on the map, but it was Ken Graves who wrote the book on it. Gotcha. His... Gotcha. I, I, I know that like, what I f- appreciate about spiral dynamics is the idea and you're pointing to it, which is, it's not just an individual journey. Like us, we start out as babies and, and we're very self-centered and we're very uh, just concerned with our own little world. And then we become, you know, familiar, we become connected to a family and then we become connected to a tribe. And then at some point we challenge that tribe and then we start to branch out on our own, but, but also appreciating and loving and working with and valuing the diversity that's in the world. And, and then it comes in, we talked earlier about emotional fluency. It's, it's the maturity and development of our own emotions. It's the maturity and development of our cognitive thinking. And all of these things are uh, obviously connected. Um, any thoughts from you in terms of spiral dynamics? I mean, that's such a big topic. And listeners, I would suggest, you know, go, go even just look up Google Images and you'll find these charts with these colors that Wendy's talking about. Um, Is there a secret, Wendy, to kind of moving as an individual from stage to stage? And is there a secret for societies collectively to 
to go from stage to stage, or is it simply is it simply experience and time? Um, I think one of it is human. One of them is humility because um, we don't see what we don't know, and so the minute we think we've know something in the world and this is true and that is true and our opinions are very rigid and tightly wound within us. Um, when we start letting go of our opinions and realizing that those are mostly just beliefs, then we're able to start growing a little bit more until we're able to cross that bridge. And it, that's risky in itself to say that all my, my beliefs are only opinions. <laughs> um, that kind of gets you a little bit more loosened up and able to grow and see different things. And I, I call it developing technicolor, <laughs> whereas before you see in black and white. And so the understanding, just understanding the spiral and being able to witness where you are on the spectrum of the spiral, um, that helps you understand that you have more growth and development. And it doesn't develop contempt against people who don't see things the way you do. It's not so much a threat anymore. You start to say, oh, maybe there's some growth that needs to happen in me. And for people who I uh, who are coaching, who I coach and do the you know, rebirthing school. Another key point is to understand what your trauma was trying to teach you. For example, it wasn't until I experienced uh, the betrayal of my, of what I found as my source of truth, like my religion. It wasn't until I experienced that betrayal that I became more hungry to know my own truth. It wasn't until I lost my prefabricated community of like church members that I had that I thought were my friends. It wasn't until I lost all that that I became more interested in letting go of superficial relationships and to awake to real love and real connection. It wasn't until I discovered that I was being led um, to from a source that, that I was conditioned. It wasn't until I understand that I was conditioned that I gave myself permission to start growing on my own. And so when you can transform the trauma into growth and development, then you start to see more of who you are and you realize that you don't know very much and you become curious again. <laughs> and that curiosity, I think, is a quality that helps us to you know, start growing at that second life. We become curious and we're reborn and saying, oh my goodness, there's so much out here that I don't know and I don't understand and I'm curious and I, I, I'm hungering for more. And so I think being able to transform that trauma, unfortunately, we're not taught to transform the trauma very often. And so we get stuck in that emotional state and we get stuck in our opinions and we use our old ways of, you know, uh, we use our old ways of dealing with the world to try and deal with a new world that we're creating. And so it, that's why we have life coaches that are so popular right now because they can see things that we can't see. And we start to realize, oh, I need somebody who's been here before to help me navigate through this. I, uh, I love the word spiral dynamics because as I think about it in my own experience over the last decade, when I've really begun this journey of waking up, 
it it feels like a spiral. It feels like I go around and around visiting different areas of who I am and learning about the world around me. And I keep visiting those same, let's say, 25 topics. And as I go around and around, I keep grabbing new things from each of them and I can sense myself lifting up. I can sense myself becoming something better and bigger than what I was a year earlier when I revisited that topic the last time. And my life, it it never changes dramatically or drastically. It feels like this slow revisiting of these topics in this spiral upward. So I love the term. You mentioned a moment ago trauma. Um, I, I want you to speak to that for a moment because the reason we're sitting down with you today is that you've spent this time in the healing arts and you're familiar with kind of these these topics within that arena. And it feels as though as a baby, we come into this world and just the our birth alone is is trauma. And it seems like it's to, to receive trauma is to be human and there's no way to avoid it. And yet we sense from our families, we get trauma that is unnecessary. From our tribe, we get trauma that's unnecessary. From our society, we receive trauma that's unnecessary. And here we are in the second half of life, beginning to try and untangle all of that Maybe speak to a moment about trauma generally and and where people can start to find the tools to disentangle that unnecessary trauma that comes to us. Uh, so I agree with you. We can't escape trauma in this life. It's almost as if whatever our signature of trauma is, that is our personal growth manual <laughs> to use in Second Life. And so second life happens when we get vitally interested in how we're programmed and and how we have digested and created meaning to what's happened to us. And we all do that at different levels. I mean, somebody could be traumatized because their mom just said no or yelled at them because she was in a bad mood and that person has become traumatized to the uh to the point that they can't move forward in their life. And there are others that have been molested and raped and had the most violent things happen to them and they can get over it. Um, Or it doesn't seem to have impacted them as much. And so we can't really measure how the trauma will affect the person. The way the trauma affects the person is different according to how that person digested the experience. But every one of us is going to have that trauma, some type of trauma that happens in our life that, is, that causes us in our mind to develop fears, uh, fear about the world, fear about other people. I can't trust. I, can't, um, I don't have any right to move forward. I don't deserve any better. We, we make agreements about who we are in our identity that doesn't allow us to experience joy. And I believe we were made to be happy. That's why we keep pursuing happiness. And in that pursuit of happiness, we start to realize that we've made agreements that necessarily aren't true and they certainly aren't productive. And so that's when we go back to our childhood and we understand some of the contempt and the fears that we've created, the contempt against ourselves and the fears that we've created against others. And we realize that they really aren't, those are just the stories and the meaning 
that we've placed on those experiences that we are the only ones placing meaning on anything. And if you place the meaning on it when it happened, you can recreate the meaning of it while it, when it's over because we, st- we still live in this place as if it's happening over and over and over again. But today is a new day. This day, presently, none of that trauma is going on. And we're not in danger. And we are not, we are not, we are only a collection of everything we've started to believe about ourselves. So that second life is us, us turning inward and saying, what is it I have started to believe? And what experiences caused me to believe that? And how can I believe differently? What really, really happened when I was molested? It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with the sickness of whoever the perpetrator was. But I'm okay. And it's not happening anymore. I'm not in danger of it anymore. How can I learn to transmute that trauma into power? And how people do that is differently every time. And so it's more complex. It's simple yet complex. It's simple because all you have to do is change your story. That's real simple. But it's complex in that the story you're telling yourself is different than any story anybody else is saying and any, anybody else has experienced. So that's the part of the inner work. And it's part of, part of healing that shadow side and knowing what's deep down inside there that's incongruent with your happiness and incongruent with your joy. So that there's all kinds of... There, I started with rapid eye technology. I don't use that anymore. Um, I use what's called emotional freedom technique, and it's tapping. And that helps people to process their emotion and be willing to move and step into that motion. And the tapping helps you to create kind of a, a pathway for that emotion to flow through. But you have to be in a safe place. And I think we already talked about this. You have to be with somebody that you trust to go on that journey with you. To look at all those ugly shadows that we have made so much effort to hide. We have to be with somebody who we're willing to be vulnerable with us and who will be truthful with us and who, who really loves us. And sometimes it's hard to find that person. And so um, that's two of the tools I use. I also just do a lot of, I have an online course, and we just ask questions. We ask ourselves questions. Why do I believe that? And who have I given my power over to? And when we start asking, doing the self-inquiry, all those things want to come out of us. They want to be exposed. And so it's amazing how our mind will reveal the story that we've told, but only after we ask it to. Otherwise, our ego's job is to keep it hidden in there. <laughs> so I hope those are some helpful, helpful tools that we can start using. And a lot of uh, life skills are about using those tools of processing our emotions and uh, self-inquiry. But it's all about learning who you are and getting to know yourself, being able to accept yourself, and being able to present yourself to the world in your rawest form is your most powerful form. And so that's, it's a process. It's, it's labor. I call it labor. You're literally rebirthing yourself. But because you're on this journey, your rebirth is you're already contracting. <laughs> you're, 
the the way to be born is already being opened up. And so your emergence is imminent. It's going to happen because you're on that path. It's just not something that happens in a day. It happens through years of self-discovery and self, you know, self-inquiry and self becoming self-aware of how you've programmed yourself, how you've been programmed. I'm just thinking, cause it's so just thinking about my own journey and, and the things that I've done and, and you know, why I'm where I'm at right now. And I, I, I think that like what you've said, the curiosity for me has been the biggest tool to help me uncover the stories and the emotions and the behavior. And um, I find that if I'm curious, if I start asking myself those questions, like, why am I feeling this way? Why does this poke me? Or why is this hurting? Or why is this making me angry? If I can sit and ask myself those questions, I find that I'm less apt to react. I may react initially, but then if I pull back and start asking those questions, the reaction is less volatile. So it's just so interesting to me, Wendy. Um, I also wanted to speak to the tapping. I have a friend who had a really traumatic experience and she tried all of the traditional methods that she knew how to try. And um, she was introduced to tapping and um, she has, she just swears up and down that that has been the most useful and beneficial thing for her to help her manage her anxiety and to process the trauma. Um, she, she told me that when she first, if she was first talked about it or first asked about it, she could not even tell you about the trauma because it was, it produced so much emotion. And within 10 minutes of tapping, she was able to stop crying and be able to talk about the experience. Um, so that's fascinating to me. I don't know a lot about tapping. Well, the, the tapping creates like, um, it creates because you're tapping on certain parts in your body, they're, they're meridian points. And when you're tapping on it, you're, you're stimulating those meridian points and you're tapping in a sequence and it literally creates a channel within your body so the emotion can pass through. So it's one thing to talk about your trauma and the emotion gets shoved down deeper and deeper in there. But when you're talking about um, your trauma in an effort to heal it and to get it out of your system and you're creating a channel for it to flow through and you're being, you know, it, it takes someone who can navigate it, although you can have, um, you can have tremendous uh, results just doing it on yourself, which is why there's YouTube videos on just how to do it yourself. If it was dangerous to do it on yourself, um, they, there wouldn't be so much, you know, encouragement to do the self-healing that way. But the tapping just creates that channel so that the motion can get itself out. And it has a lot to do with being honest with yourself. Um, I think to kind of, Lend to what you were saying in the beginning, I think the question that we kept asking ourselves is, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Uh, am I okay? <laughs> who am I according to who? How do I measure up according to how, how everybody wants me to be and how the world wants, I'm supposed to look in the world? <laughs> and in Second Life, that question changes to, who am I? Not, am I good enough? It's really, who am I? Of course, I'm good enough, but who am I? And so that's, that's kind of 
the change of the big question that happens in Second Life. I just want to know who I am instead of, am I okay? Why do you think we do that, Wendy? Why do you think there's that shift? Um, I, I think it's the, kind of the process and the evolution of just our our beingness. I don't think we can escape that. It's kind of what was supposed to happen. Just many of us get trapped in it, not knowing that there's a process and there's something emerging in us. If we can outline, which I think many people are doing, and we're doing it um, with this process, podcast it's an evolving thing that's come out of the pain of something else and so I think we're now outlining and getting a clear um, picture of what it really looks like for us to grow up and so we're you we're learning adult skills when we thought we had had it all figured out and so the more we realize hey there's a second life nobody told me there's going to be a second life or I didn't really understand what that was so just by having these conversations and somebody hearing this conversation, it blends it to the whole consciousness, the collective consciousness that, oh, you're experiencing second life. Oh, you experienced the dark night of the soul. Oh, you, you know, we're having all these new words come into our language because we're trying to identify the experience that's happening to us. So I, I just think it's part of our, our evolution, but now we're getting words to it. We're being able to diagram it a little more and say, this is just how we grow. This is what, this is what humans do <laughs> instead of, you know, something's wrong with me. I'm having a midlife crisis. And now we can give more language to it. And nothing's wrong with you. You're just evolving and getting curious about yourself. It's beautiful. We, we approach all of these topics, Mikkel, and I know in the first half of life, I all I wanted was like, give me, give me five steps, give me five things, tell me the top five things to do to be better in this area. And we're all looking for a checklist. And then something happens, which is when we get into the second half of life, we realize like that's those are great and they still exist. There are certainly steps and tools. Uh, there are direct things to do to be better. But, but what also happens is we start to realize like it's just living. It's just reading and thinking and talking about these various topics that as, as Wendy was pointing to earlier with spiral dynamics, that we just kind of keep walking around and, and getting better and, and getting uh, more efficient and more healthy at doing this life thing. Um, I, I, I want to know, Wendy, uh, because you're, you're in all of these arenas that have to do with healing. Um, where can people find out kind of more about the work you're doing and, and reach out to you if they've got questions on some of these things that we've talked about today? Um, they can go to wendyjensen.com, W-E-N-D-I-J-E-N-S-E-N.com. That's um, kind of my little website, my homespun website right now. I'm getting all of that updated this year is my goal. <laughs> and, I have a book called The Healing Questions Guide, which is actually what started my journey, and it's about self-inquiry that is a resource um, for people to ask questions about what's manifesting physically in their body and how their beliefs are affecting their physical body. So that is a huge healer's resource, and um, 
you can also, I, I have an online course for the rebirthing course. And so I think just learning to ask the questions and ask them to Google too. <laughs> and find, find somebody who's a life coach um, that fits you, that seems to be talking about the things that interest you. And give yourself permission to say, okay, that's interesting me, and lean into it. Lean in. If you're leaning into um, atheism, then and you're curious about it, then study it. If you're can, wondering about tarot cards and it's curious, then study it. If you're wondering about you know politics, then study it. It's almost like giving yourself permission to lean into whatever you're being curious about and to trust that you have some inner guidance system going on, that that thing inside you that wants to know, when you start to stop denying that <laughs> and you start listening to it, you're you're going to find yourself in this world of wonder and curiosity and exponential growth and learning. I just find this topic fascinating and I've learned um, a lot of things today and I just, it just gives me courage to just keep moving forward. I, I really like um, what you said and, and what Wendy said about there not being a, a definite checklist because that's part of what I've looked for for a long time is, is give me, give me a checklist. But I like that, you know, with spiral dynamics, you know, you pointed this out, Bill, we just have the opportunity to keep gleaning and, and gathering information as we keep moving through these different cycles and, and picking up additional tools. And, and I think that the more practice we give ourselves and the more patient we are with ourselves um, and with each other, it's just going to get better and better. I think one of the tools that, that's helped me um, understand kind of where I fall on the spectrum of growth and development has been, you know, talk about another diagram, but it and it, it but it's an open diagram is just kind of how we evolve, and it's just five stages and it's like super quick. But first, we doubt. Stage one is we doubt that what we've been taught and what we've been told is true. And we start to have either a cognitive dissonance, and so we doubt. Then we go to stage two, where is fear? And we're afraid that if what we're, we're starting to understand that's so different than what, than what we learn, that our whole world will unravel or that we will lose our identity. So we step into this place of fear. And then we go into when we accept that, yeah, what we're learning is real and what we thought was true is maybe not true. Then we go into this emotional stage of anger and grief. And most of us don't get past that stage of anger and grief because we don't know how to process the emotion. And we don't know that we're supposed to process the emotion. <laughs> we don't know how to move on. And that, that's where the healing comes in. And we move into um, places of forgiveness and allowance. And that stage four is the self-knowing is, or self-discovery. We're learning to know ourselves and who we are. And many people don't, don't step into that curiosity. And then stage five is self-acceptance, allowing yourself to be wherever you are and not thinking that anything is wrong. This is just how life goes and everything's okay. Mm. So, um, man, just so good. I, I hope that as we're pointing to, and as you specifically, Wendy, have just said, like, get curious. I hope that the listeners get curious. And I hope that 
the listeners, anything that we've talked about today that you start to kind of go off and think about and read and, and as Mikkel pointed to, to kind of start gleaning. Um, I think that's such a great word to glean from all of these various topics. I, I, I want to maybe just finish saying um, there's all of these arenas that give us insight into who we are, the Enneagram and its nine personality types. Uh, just this past week, I know there's huge doubters that I want to get into it necessarily, but I had, a, I had a deep conversation with a bunch of people about astrology and the, the natal charts that come with that and what they tell us about ourselves. Um, I look at things like spiral dynamics and how it helps us to be aware of what's happening. I, at one time, Wendy, I thought I was strange and odd and going through something that nobody else in the world was going through because within my small tribe, inside my system in a specific geographic location, nobody else was going through it. And or at least they weren't giving voice to it because there was a lack of vulnerability. And so I thought I was alone doing this thing that was strange. And the reality is this is the human journey. I hope that the listeners start to recognize this is what awakened life looks like. It, it, you start to doubt the certainties you've had about the way the world works. And you get curious, as you point out, and you go start looking for new answers and new information. And now you get to decide what you trust and what you don't trust in terms of that new information. But, but most of us on this side are open to like, I just want, I'm willing to let go of what I had. I, I just want better things. And, and I think this process for most of us works out really beautifully. And I just want to say thank you for, for engaging this conversation where we start to talk about these tools and resources that people can, begin to be a healthier version and a better version, a bigger version of themselves. Yeah, this is what I'm passionate about. I'd love to help people rebirth themselves. And that, that's the whole key is nobody's doing it for you and nobody's telling you what's the best way to do it. Um, a, a true second life midwife just tells you, trust yourself. You've got this. What is it you really want? You are the only one that knows the way. And we're so used to someone telling us how to do it and someone else being our authority that a true, a true um, person that understands the whole process knows that your inner compass is the most valuable tool that you can start um, tapping into and understanding. And it has everything to do with everything we've talked about, the vulnerability, the willing to risk, the understanding how the hole that we dug ourselves into and how we operate in the world, our willingness to process the trauma to understand the emotions and to cross the bridge into self-knowing and self-discovery and, and self-acceptance. So I thank you for having this podcast. It's been, it's an amazing um, next step in watching your own journey, just being someone who's watched your and listened to your podcast for a long time. You're, you're a perfect example of how we emerge and how it's done and you're doing it by following just your own intuition, your own guide as to what comes next. What's my next step? Beautiful, beautiful. Anything else from you, Mikkel? No, I just, this has been, this has been really great. Thanks, Wendy. Wendy, one last time, yeah, one last time, point people to where they can find more about you. You can go to wendyjensen.com. W-E-N-D-I-J-E-N-S-E-N dot com. 
and most of my information will be there. And you can find me, of course, on Facebook or, or Instagram, just under Wendy Wilcock Jensen. And I also have a YouTube channel. It's Wendy J. So it's just W-E-N-D-I and then capital J. And that's my YouTube channel. So that's how you can find me. Uh, thanks, Wendy. Thanks, Mikkel, obviously. Um, just appreciate the getting together with you, Mikkel, and having these conversations. They're valuable to me, and I hope they're valuable to the listeners. Appreciate everybody joining in today. You can check us out at almostawakened.org. There's lots of resources there as well. And Wendy, thanks so much for being on. I, I just appreciate you as a human being and for your the journey you've been on and the willingness to to, to step out and be a voice for, for how we can all be better at this thing called life. Thank you. Thanks, listeners, for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Almost Awakened podcast. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.